welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Ah, yes, thank you, big boys of the sky. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson here, spring game football expert, Barton Simmons there. Barton, you know more players in the spring games than anybody else. You know... Uh, you know every all the twos and all the threes, and when when the when the spring game commentators are trying to talk about some sideshow that's going on or some NFL alumni that's in town, you should be the one that's on the call, given given the backup, given the high school info on uh, on the guys that are getting reps in the second third quarters. Uh, what's what what's been your what, what's it been like being back in the spring football craziness? <laughs> back in the spring football saddle, yeah. uh, it's been been good we had a couple good games so south carolina kicked us off uh we had a, a pretty busy weekend last weekend this weekend is going to be uh, a bonanza and uh and then the following weekend will be really good so we got a we got a good little stretch here of spring practice and and yes chip this i love this because as you mentioned like i'm sitting there with my with my i got my roster pulled up because you know they're not talking about any of these guys on the broadcast. They're just talking about whatever the quarterback battle is, or, or uh, you know, reading their, their, you know, talking about the, the celebrity refs or, or, or whatever the whatever like the angle is that they think they got to use to get the the casual fans engaged. But I'm I'm all about who the second stringer is. I'm all about who the third stringer is, and 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 I think you learn a lot from the spring. Maybe not into the the season um but but just in terms of the makeup of the roster long term and and uh i certainly you know have, have gotten my fair share of takeaways uh through the first week and a half or, or two weeks or so of, of spring games what's uh i well do you want to can can we start with auburn yeah absolutely let's let's go um where one of the things that i've always uh, that i've come to accept about auburn through with some help from you and also my eyes and my understanding and following college football is that there there appears to be in this Gus Malzahn regime just an almost endless supply of freaks particularly up front defensively does it look like that the depth there uh, is still packed. I know that they've been recruiting, obviously, at a high level for the last several years. Uh, in, in, are you able to tell that kind of stuff in the spring game that they're 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 well adjusted and that they are going to be able to continue to have uh, a, a defense that is able to win battles up front? You know, I give the announcers for spring games a hard time because I do think they they don't really know much beyond the the. Um, obvious storylines but one thing you do kind of glean from the, the the commentary is like those guys sit down with the coaches those guys sit down with the staff they they get uh, a casual uh a little bit less uh buttoned up sort of recap of, of what the teams looks like and in that Auburn game I can't remember who the commentators were specifically because I watched so many of them but you know they kept on saying like this might be the best defensive line Auburn's had like this defensive front may be better than last year and they're not saying that because they think that. They're saying that because the coaches are telling them that, and and I think that's that is telling that they're that that staff is willing to hype up this front seven or this this front four at least, given what that last year's group accomplished. Um, and the guy and and I believe it because let's like the guys that they've got returning this year. I mean we you, you, you know, we know about the Derek Browns. Um, you know we know about the. We know about the guys that were, uh, you know, Marlon Davidson, the guys that were impact guys last year. Um, the two names that I'm really excited about. And is it Big flashed. Cat time? Or is it Big Cat? Is Big Cat going to be playing? No, no. Well, Big Cat's in there. Yeah. Big Cat Bryant's in there. He's in the mix, but he's not in one of my top two. My, the top okay. two guys I'm really juiced about is Nick Coe and T.D. Moultrie. Mm. Nick Coe is – he had four and a half sacks or something last year. He played plenty and was really good, but like – and he's playing behind Marlon Davidson, but maybe just as good, and I think is a future like lock to be a first-round NFL draft pick. T.D. Moultrie didn't play much last year as a true freshman, but this is going to be his year to take in that 
sort of fill in in that spot behind Jeffrey Holland. Um, and I think he is a future first round NFL draft pick. Uh, he is, this is a kid that as a junior in high school was playing safety, moved to linebacker as a senior. Now he's basically an edge rusher at Auburn two years into his career, just a, a, a beast athletically. And, and those guys, they're just like, they're just a couple drops in the bucket in that like loaded front front four in particular that that goes two to three men deep at every spot. So it's going to be defensively like Auburn is still all the way there. That's uh, so. Then on the on the flip side, like if if we would you say Auburn's defense is SEC champion caliber? Oh yeah, I think so. That I is mean, they gotta, fascinating. They gotta, they gotta fix. You know, they have to get some guys. They have to replace some of the the talent on the back end. Um, but I, I think a hundred percent. That's a that's an SEC championship caliber defense. You know, offensively, Auburn. You know, Jared Stidham only did the seven on seven portion of the, the scrimmage. Um, uh, Malik Willis and and Joey Gatewood were the quarterbacks, so they'll be you know battling for the you know Malik Willis is really the backup guy there, but they were not impressive throwing the football um and and the receivers i think you're still like you know i I think that that's that's a solid receiving core but offensively like i don't i think we're going to need to see a a serious step forward from Jarrett stidham to really be like a guy that can put a team on his shoulders for them to be sec championship caliber and and i think that there's a potential that Jarrett stidham could take that step forward but um i don't think that there's some you know, no brainer offensive juggernaut. Uh, I think they're got, they have all the pieces there, but they're, you know, there's some, there's something still to, to keep an eye on offensively. The, the running back position is a really important position of, of sort of a competition spot this spring. And, and I really like Booby Whitlow, who's their, uh, kind of, he's a red shirt freshman. He was a high school quarterback state champion, long jumper, just a really athletic kid. He's the one that it just looks different when he touches the ball in terms of how he moves and, and how explosive he is. So does he, you know, can he handle pass protection? Is he consistent catching the ball out of the backfield? Those are the things that, you know, to keep an eye on with him. But but I, I like what he brings to the table with the ball in his hands. Um, that's, you know, I, I think that it is, you know, the, the logic part of my brain totally understands based on the personnel and looking at the depth chart that you know Auburn is going to be a team that is going to win games with its defense but because of Gus Malzahn and the aura and the reputation that comes with him it makes it uh, a pretty fascinating I think what will be a conversation point in which I mean like don't we laugh about how Gus Malzahn's always like two losses from the hot seat Yes. Like and, and <laughs> yeah. if and if the onus of losses and wins is gonna be based on this offense, Gus's calling card, I mean, we are right back into the like we are right back into seeing Gustav just just the the center of all of the conversation when it comes to Alabama's biggest rival. I mean, it's gonna be another classic Gus Malzahn season because, you know, they got Washington uh, to start things off, and and you know that's a they could be a national championship caliber team and still lose to Washington. Um, hey, you, know, you, you know I'm all in on Washington this year, taking that Barton Simmons pass. That's right, that's right. Uh, but they'll and they'll still you know they'll have. So then you know let's let's just like like explore a scenario here. They lose to Washington, go zero and one, and then like everyone's mad at Gus again. Then they go on a run where they beat Alabama State, LSU, Arkansas, Southern Miss. We'll even give them a Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss wins. We'll get down to – like they, they go through a whatever that is, 8-0 stretch middle of the season, and then they get to Georgia, lose that, beat Liberty, at Alabama, lose that. So then all of a sudden like you're back to sort of just this – they lose two of the last three of the season, and Gus Malzahn is like, like hated once again, even though it's a really good 9-3 team. Uh it's just, yeah, he's like forever in perpetual just like uh, discomfort in the in the coach's chair there. So we'll see what happens. They could very well win all of them, but um, but I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what that offense is able to put together. What uh, speaking of Gus and the SEC West, what did uh, did Chad Morris show any cards at Arkansas? Did we did we get to see uh, the the awkward installation of his uh, of his offense? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought they, they looked. Um, I thought they looked okay. I thought they looked. You know, it's just it, that one's is hard to tell because the feeling is that Arkansas isn't operating with the same sort of talent level maybe as the rest of the SEC West, and maybe they're a step down on that front. And and so you know, then what 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 can you really tell in an inner squad scrimmage? Um, but I, I thought you know one of my takeaways is like is the the run game actually looked really efficient and really impressive. Devois Whaley had some really good runs. Um, you know, I they, they've Chase Hayden has had a huge spring. Um, they, they they just I you know and and again this is another thing like the commentators kept on emphasizing that what what Chad Morris told them was like we're a we're a run first team like this offense is about establishing the run between the tackles and then going from there and it's like clearly that's his talking point uh, because he gets like this air whatever not air raid but I mean the the spread stigma as he goes into this physical SEC conference so he's, I'm sure he's trying to to address that up front but it did look like they're going to have some success running the football and and I do think they've got a pretty good stable of backs um so you know and, and I so I, I think Arkansas is going to be a really fascinating team as they you know that's still going to be this one of these squads that like could upset anybody any week but but maybe just doesn't have the horses to go uh, week in, week out, and, and and win you know most of their SEC games. Hey, when uh, when Andre Ellington was on the roster, they, they were not avoiding him just because you also had Sammy Watkins out there on the outside. Like it's I I can, I can back Morris up there, yeah, knowing yeah. for sure that uh, they they find ways to get good running backs the ball, and Arkansas certainly has that. So is the talent level at Ole Miss right now noticeably better than Arkansas as just in terms of team talent? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay, I wouldn't say. Though I mean, like the, but the difference is like Ole Miss has and has got a couple of freak shows. Like they've like DK Metcalf's a freak show. Uh, AJ Brown, who didn't play in the spring game, is a freak show. Um, like they've got a couple couple of those guys on offense that are just rare. Um, so you know, I think Ole Miss is is sort of the same boat though as Arkansas. Like they could probably beat every team in the conference. Um, but they're just—it's going to take a special performance to do it, and it's—and that performance is really going to have to come from the offense. Um, Jordan Tuamu, Jordan Tuamu—they're—they're they're really excited about him. Um, so are we. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, I—that—that I, that dude's, he's a big, strong-arm cat, and and he's got the—he's got the weapons to to distribute to, even with Van Jefferson gone. Um, so he was—he was pretty good. Um, they love this kid Dawson Knox, who didn't play in the spring game. He's injured right now, but they think that, that Dawson Knox is this—he's uh, their tight end, kind of H back type of guy. They think he's an NFL kid, um, so so that's a name to watch. And then Scotty Phillips, uh, a JUCO running back, um, came in, and 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 they're—I think, you know—I talked to a coach over there. They're they're excited about him, uh, and 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 think he's got a chance to to help them in the run game. And obviously, that's something they need to address. So. Uh, you know, Matt Corral, we, we saw a little bit of him. He looked, he looked like he's still got a ways to go. He's the true freshman top 100 army, all American quarterback that they brought in. Um, but you know, so they, they need Jordan Tom to stay healthy, but, uh, I, I do think this is an offense that can be really explosive. All right. Not in terms of what their record will be necessarily. Cause you know, so much of that comes down to, uh, your home away splits, you know, whether you've, whether you've got a whole bunch of your tough games together, whether they're spread out. But if you were to power rank uh, and maybe include LSU in this group, if you think that LSU is in that position, but if you were to power rank what I would call that uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas tier in the SEC West, how does Barton Simmons see them right now? Well, I think Mississippi State is clearly at the top of that that list um, and ahead of LSU like would you would you put LSU oh, yeah. oh wow yeah yeah absolutely I think it's a I think the west is Alabama Mississippi State and Auburn in, in some order of that I mean probably probably Alabama Auburn Mississippi State in that order uh, and then I think the rest of the west is is um, very much sort of clumped in there together and you can kind of toss a dart at the board and, and, and see who who ends up at the you know because we're, we're hearing some of this Texas A&M like oh they're you know they left us a, a a a roster that's that's pretty depleted. Like we're gonna, it's gonna take some time. Um, 
Arkansas obviously is is you know they've they've got the ways to go. Uh, Ole Miss, you know, we all know all the 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 issues that they've been facing. LSU, I think this is going to be the the biggest challenge that uh, LSU's going into the season. I think the cards are stacked against LSU more so than they've been in a decade. I agree. Uh, you know, and so I got I'm having a hard time picturing them being a a tier above any of those other teams we just talked about. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I would, I could see LS, I could see LSU being the bottom of that list, the top of that list. I could see, you know, it's a, this is a bad answer, but I could see any order within that group. I think, I think there is a, I think there's a tier separation between um, Arkansas and Texas A&M talent, talent depleted, what like I, 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 th- I think there's enough. Th- there's enough pieces from that Texas A&M team that uh, that was that was still playing and playing pretty hard right. at the end right. of the season. I, yeah, I think I'm being a little bit. Yeah, I think that I, if if I really think about it, like and the, the other the other factor with A&M is that I do think that they like Nick Starkle. I think they're excited about their quarterback. Yeah, like they so that's in a Jimbo Fisher offense. Like if you got the quarterback squared away, like that's a big pretty critical piece and i and you know and with the the the, this pod being as mike elko uh um (laughs) friendly as we are we'll we'll uh we'll we'll assume the defense will be pretty good too like like i think texas a&m is going to be really interesting uh and i don't think that they're going to compete for an sec championship but i i feel pretty comfortable considering texas a considering texas a&m to be a top tier you know, top three, top four SEC West team. I'm comfortable putting them four behind. I still think Mississippi State is a step up, but I'm comfortable putting them four. I agree with that. Um, all right, over on the other side, South Carolina. Uh, biggest news coming out of South Carolina is that Steve Garcia hurt his hand in the uh, alumni flag football game. <laughs> he, that, I didn't know that was breaking news, man. That's uh, he He hurt his hand. He took a call from Steve Spurrier, who was inquiring about his availability for this new football league where Spurrier is going to be a coach. Garcia said, I need to rest up. We'll talk about it next year. <laughs> um, I, I, what, do we, what do we think from South Carolina? I, I, I find myself in a, in a position where I, I, I am not going to get inspired to move South Carolina. Speaking of just sort of power, I'm not going to get inspired to move South Carolina ahead of Georgia or Florida anytime between now. Like, I, don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. You're not going to be able to convince me of that between now and when I fill out my order of prediction, whatever in July. Well, that's certainly the case with, with Georgia, but I I'm, I'm not necessarily in agreement on the South Carolina versus Florida. I think South Carolina is like they're still building their depth to where they want to be, I think, but they've got some players now, and uh, I think they've got an identity, right? Right, and they're, they're one of the like one of the big takeaways from the spring game is that they are, you know, they're not tempo all the time. They they try to you know uh, change up pace and and keep a defense sort of off balance, but you're going to see some some drives that look like you know, Oregon or, or Baylor or, you know, where they, in terms of just the tempo. And so they really try to play with tempo. I think that, that finally, like they've got a, um, you know, that they're, they're trying to be something offensively. Uh, you know, Dan Warner's over there, bring some of that old miss stuff with him. Um, and, and so I think that offensively they're going to be improved defensively. I still trust them and that staff. Um, but I think that this is a team like I, I was, I think, you know, Jake Bitley's is, is potentially like a, you know, high round NFL draft pick type of no, quarterback. No, no, you do not Clayton <laughs> Thorson, Jake Bentley right now. You do not get to Clayton Thorson, Jake Bentley. No, I don't want to Clayton. Th- I, I look, I'm not there yet with, with, I'm going to still, first of all, first of all, I you, still you have, on the Clayton Thorson bandwagon. You, <laughs> like, I haven't jumped off. Like, I always said Clayton Thorson this last year could be the year or maybe it's the following, but Clayton Thorson is a potential first round draft pick. I'm still there. I look, let's just say it right now. Clayton Thorson 
as this year we go into this off season and this college football season, there's no, there's no, like, no first round NFL draft pick. There's not a not a one quarterback that's that is projected right now in the first round. And you know someone's going to emerge as that guy. How about the huge kid with the huge arm that's athletic that is is about to be in his fifth year as a starter or whatever the heck it is at Northwestern? So I am still on the Clayton Thorson bandwagon. I don't think Jake Bentley necessarily – I'm not even there yet with Bentley. I just think he's a good quarterback. Okay. Uh, so maybe I need to like maybe I need to clarify. Like I'm not ready to start projecting Bentley's draft status. But like as we go into the fall and there's and, and we're trying to figure out who the NFL guys are, I could see a scenario where Bentley emerges as one of those guys. Man, Gary talked me into Bentley, and then you threw up the slow caution sign last year, right? Right. Get- and I'm still there. Like I'm still I'm still like warming up to Bentley. Um, and I tell and you so- what, guys, he sees it. He throws receivers open. <laughs> <laughs> that was a. That was almost like a um, an, an industry talking point last year that had like almost like got emailed out to people and like everyone just started talking about Jake Bentley. Yeah, as like this, I know. this like, and I didn't really fully understand it though. He is good. Like he is like he's good enough to get South Carolina. Like he's good enough to for, for South Carolina to win every game. Like the quarterback position is is in a good place. You know, like he's. That's not that's not a concern at South Carolina by any stretch. Um, they just need to get uh, some playmakers, you know, making plays around them. And so uh, I think South Carolina's got a chance to be be really good. I am uh, fascinated and have no idea what to expect from TCU this year. Yeah, I mean that's that's another one where the quarterback position is. I mean that's sort of everything. Because um, we've still got Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham there, right? No, uh, Meacham is uh, he he went to um, or wait no, which one? Meacham went to Kansas last Ooh, year, okay, right? Um, so, but yeah, we still got a big time offense, um, and I think that they've excuse me, uh, I think that they've got you know their running backfield is really good. Shea Olanu. Alani Lua um, is really good. Uh, Darius Anderson was one of my favorite backs in the country last year. Like they got guys in the backfield, but they got a new quarterback. And, and is it Sean Robinson? Um, is it Justin Rogers, who's the true freshman? Um, you know, they there was some shaky play at quarterback in the game. Apparently, I didn't see their game. Um, I don't think it was even televised. But they, you know, the quarterback position was. A little bit shaky. I think they're all, you know, so they, they've got to get that figured out. But the big, I think the takeaway from a TCU spring is, is this is going to be maybe their best front six that TCU's had under Gary Patterson. Or wow. it's going to be among the best. Wow. Um, and so that, and when you think about like what, you know, when TCU's really good, it's, it's really not the, the offense it's when tc is really good that defense is yeah really good. and so that gives you some pretty like that, that that makes you feel pretty good about this team um as far as how much talent they're going to be able to throw at people in that front six because they run that four two five stuff is that like i i think tcu is going to be uh like be, because it's tcu and because they have had the success since joining the big 12 they are by no means uh, like a surprise team, but when you like remember and consider that you know TCU is still uh, a little bit of not that far separated from being essentially like a you know one of the biggest a top mid major type program, like I could I could see TCU occupying the kind of space where Iowa State did this year in the big 12 where you can beat the best teams and you might beat the best teams. But I, I think when it comes time to actually shaking out my projected order of conference standings or power ranking, it, I think there's just so much turnover that the idea that this year's team could go 11 and one, 10 and two, or, or, you know, nine and zero in conference play or even, even eight and one seems like a little bit too tall of an ask for the frogs. 
feels like they got a, a loss or two based strictly at the quarterback position. Like just the quarterback just has a bad game. And there's going to be some games this year, whoever the starter is, where he looks awesome. But there's going to be two losses where it's just, you know, whether it's Sean Robinson or, or um, Justin Rogers. They got another guy in the mix who I've, I've, I'm, I'm blanking on. Um, but he just throws three picks and, and they just they don't. You know, and, I, and to an extent, like you can kind of probably that's kind of what Kenny Hill was for them. Like he would, he would lose them a couple games here and there. Um, so I think that's going to continue to be plague them a little bit. Uh, and maybe in twenty nineteen, you know, then they've they've got a little bit more stability at that position. But I'm just I'm not there yet at quarterback for TCU to feel like they can be like some dark horse t- uh, conference champion contender. Are you looking around for all the scores, highlights, and analysis that you could possibly handle? Well, look no further than CBS Sports HQ. CBS Sports HQ is CBS Sports' brand new live 24-hour streaming network. A lot of different ways to get it. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your Apple TV, Amazon Fire, all connected OTT devices through the CBS Sports app. And it is online at cbssportshq.com. Highlight scores, expert analysis, Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson, all of your favorite voices. Uh, Dennis Dodd, who's going to be joining us here in just a little bit, uh, also joins regularly. And, uh, And it's always on. So if you want to get rid of the clutter and you just want the sports information and analysis uh, that you need to be the best sports fan and the most informed sports fan, then you got to get it. CBS Sports HQ, that's where you want to be. CBSSportsHQ.com. Felt like that was a good time to shout out our network, Barton, because on Saturday, I was doing uh, Masters updates at the top of every hour. I actually was doing it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, And it... You know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a terrible gig. I was you know watching the Masters, writing about the Masters, doing updates on CBS Sports HQ. But I could I could see outside here in Raleigh, North Carolina, that the last place I wanted to be oh, was man. at the NC State spring game. Oh where, man, where it was thirty five degrees and rainy, and did not look fun. I can't believe they played that game. <laughs> Truly can't believe they played it. It looked miserable. There was nobody there. It was terrible. And not only that, but it was a terrible broadcast. Like, no offense, to, but it was just a terrible broadcast. And it was, it was again, it was one of these where, like, they didn't really, they weren't really paying it that much attention to the game. They were just sort of talking general. And, like, they had some, like, cut-ins to where they would have Dave Doran doing this sort of, like, long, like, fluff job on like the nc state you know real world wednesdays or whatever uh while like the a small screen was simultaneously playing the game so you couldn't even really see what what was going on in the game like that was one where i tried to watch and i just gave up on it like i just i can't i can't pay attention to this any longer so uh so i don't have a lot of firsthand insight on the game but i will say this okay i talked to um one of their coaches and and I, I think if there's a takeaway from the spring for NC State it's that they are very like you know they lost a lot of guys to the NFL on that defense um, but there's good defensive linemen returning they're very excited about their young linebacking core um, oh they got uh what's it Peyton what's it same it's not Peyton Reed uh so the guys that like so Raven Saunders, uh, Isaiah Moore, Louis Asias, um, those are some of these like young guys that really stepped forward this spring and and like became uh, uh, to the point where like I think they're and, and look, they've got when you talk about the potential NFL quarterbacks for next year, I mean Brian Finley is gonna be the you know, one of the guys that is is discussed. Um, they've got a quarterback, they've got they you know, got a couple game, good uh, good young wide receivers too. They do, and and even in that setting, like the, the the little bit I or not the you know from what I watched, you know they were they were driving the ball down the field and making plays in in the vertical pass game even in a in a cold rainstorm. Um, and so you know they've got some some playmakers on the outside, um, and and I think they'll still be really good on the front seven once again. So to the to the point to the 
degree in which like NC State is still a really talented team, like that's there. I, I do think this will continue to be a team that like is underrated from a talent perspective, and uh, you know, so I think that they're going to be similar in that sort of spoiler role in the ACC. What about uh, Michigan State? You know, I thought probably the big takeaway for me there, and and that was like it was funny to watch that game because it was just a, it was like a, I mean, it was Michigan State versus Michigan State, so it's just this, this pound the rock like low scoring, um, uh, sort I, of slug. So, so you're telling me it was on. Uh, Big Ten Network at noon Eastern, eleven local, and uh, exactly. it was it was nine to six at the end of the second quarter. And that was another one where, like, you know, Mark Dan- Mark D'Antonio was like wearing a um, you know, a, a a beanie and like had his like winter gear on. Like, it looked really really cold. And um, but I, I thought that the takeaway there was Connor Hayward um at the running back position. Remember, they lost Madre London to grad transfer. He's at Tennessee now. Um, they, you know, they still have LG, LJ Scott in the backfield, but they're going to need, you know, more bodies to, to shoulder the load there. I thought Connor Hayward had a good game, um, and, and, and looked, looked impressive as a between the tackles runner. They got some young DBs, Xavier Henderson, Kalen Barnes, a couple guys that looked pretty good in that setting. Uh, so, you know, I think this is, but it's just, as I watched that game, it was just like, well, this is, this is Michigan state. I know, (laughs) you know, this is who they are. This is like. Another team of kind of, you know, relatively anonymous, you know, just tough defensive playmakers. Um, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I thought, you know, Brian Lewerke is shows flashes of being really, really good, but he's he's also not super consistent. So, I think I think Michigan State is another one of these teams that has the upside to beat just about anybody. Yeah, I mean, Mich- Michigan State, I could show you, uh, in, until proven otherwise, dramatically, out, you know, I'm, I'm going to generally believe that Michigan, I could show you two Michigan State games, and you could be like, oh yeah, that looks like a six-win team, but somehow they're going to end up winning eight or nine games, minimum. Right. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's what this team's going to be. Yeah. Wild. All right, uh, we got a, a lot on deck. Ninety-three spring games on Saturday. Is that right? Nah, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I was curious to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> it, does, it does feel like there's a lot of spring games. Um, <laughs> no, it's fifty-three. That was the number. But still, nearly half of the FBS programs, a little less than half, will be holding some sort of spring festivities coming up this weekend. Alabama, of course, being one of the big headlines. Ohio State. Oh, Alabama's the following weekend. Oh, really? Okay. Alabama's the 21st. Okay, I had that wrong. All right, Ohio State's this weekend, though. And that's the one that I really wanted to talk to you about. What is Joe Burrow going to (laughs) do? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, Joe Burrow, this is... I'm so glad that you put me onto that storyline at the beginning of spring because... In the midst of NCAA tournament haze and uh, the Masters and everything else, like when I've been hit up for college football stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, I could talk Ohio State quarterbacks. Barton's <laughs> got me plugged in there. <laughs> yeah, I think like that. That that's Joe Burrow. Like here's here's my here's my sort of um, bullet point on Ohio State. I think this is a this is a will be a better offense this year than last year. It will be a tougher offense to defend. Because I don't care who wins the job, whether it's Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow, they're both going to deliver more in the pass game, and they're both athletic enough to still keep teams honest in the run game. And oh, by the way, J.K. Dobbins is still going to be one of the best running backs in college football. Um, but like I, you know, we've talked about this before. Like everyone assumes Dwayne Haskins is the starter. I'm not ready to make that assumption yet. Maybe maybe in the halls of of um, uh, at Ohio State. You know that it's that is the assumption, but I still think Joe Burrow is a really good player. And in last year, in the last year's spring game, I thought Joe Burrow probably had the best day of all of them. Um, and so, what happens if Joe Burrow steals the show in this spring game? Does that mean he's the starter next fall? And now Dwayne Haskins sticks around, and hey, maybe Dwayne Haskins transfers. Then I don't know. Um, 
But if he doesn't win the job, then he's probably the starter at, at somewhere else next fall as a grad transfer, um, which is not an option for Dwayne Haskins. He's a fourth-year player. Burrow is, yeah. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah. What, what else is on tap this weekend that you're excited about or keeping your eyes on? Got Florida, yeah. Florida State. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in Florida. I'm interested in Felipe Franks. I, I've, I um, made a, sta- a statement on HQ this week that I felt like Felipe Franks – like here, here's my thing with Felipe Franks. He was never supposed to be a day one starter. He was never – like I always felt like he was a kid that was as talented as he was, which, is, which was significant. Like he was – it was going to take a few years. And year two wasn't going to be the time. We're in year three now. So all this sort of Felipe Franks hate, like let's give the kid an opportunity to develop. And this could be that year where he develops. Like my question, this would have been a year he would have taken a step forward under Jim McElwain, I think. So, and certainly had he been under Dan Mullen for, for three years, then I would have been ex- sort of convinced that he was ready to take a step forward under Dan Mullen. But given Dan Mullen's back track record with, with quarterbacks, is this year going to be an acceleration of him or is it going to be a step back as he learns a new offense? I think he's in good hands long term with Dan Mullen. But Felipe Franks is the guy. It's not Emory Jones. I mean, I guess it, maybe it's Kyle Trask. But Felipe Franks is the guy. And so I think we could see an improved Felipe Franks. He's not going to be a all-conference quarterback. He's not going to be you know, sniffing the NFL draft next year, but he's, I think he could be an improved quarterback. And I'm curious if we see any indication of that this weekend. Doesn't it feel like the second, I mean, the second that Will Greer even got it rolling, like the thirst for good play at the University of Florida and the drought that has been in place is going to make any improvement to Felipe Franks' game build as significant right yeah yeah and I think one well, and not not only that but we're going to see a lot of praise heaped on a Dan Mullen if if we do see some some development I mean it, it just a little just some some glimmer of hope um you know is going to Dan Mullen is going to receive a lot of credit but but yeah I mean I'm, I'm a, I was almost a little bit surprised when you said like you're you're still not even close to putting South Carolina above Florida um in the in the east because I'm just sort of like is I'm 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 a little bit um unclear how good I'm supposed to think this Florida team is. Like I don't I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think. <laughs> like see, what you know, so I'm I, I that'll be interesting to see whether they look like they're really flying around and they've got the same sort of level of talent we're used to seeing or whether the tail end of that McElwain tenure is is going to bite them. It's possible, but it Offensively, in particular, it seems like the personnel is more impressive than Florida teams that have been like Florida teams that I have thought were not good, you know, that eventually played in SEC championship games and won division titles. The I just, you know, I look at Tony, um, you know, I look at Malik Davis, uh, but here's so here's the Tyree Cleveland. You oh, know? for sure, but like th- this, but you're the. I think what's interesting is you're naming all the offensive guys, and when we think about Florida, and we think about all the good teams they've had, and we think about how they're still just sort of backing into SEC East titles, it's not because their offense; it's because of their defense. And Will Muschamp recruited all those defensive players, and now we got a Jim McElwain recruited defensive roster, and is the defense. Like even if the offense takes a step forward under Dan Mullen with those players you mentioned, is the defense going to stay consistent enough and not take a step back to where, you know, the that that's a, a net zero? Um, so well, how about this? I, I, I think that they I think that uh, CC Jefferson and Jabari Zaniga are dudes. Yes, I don't think that Florida's defense is loaded with dudes like it had been during some of these offensively challenged years, but there might be... How about this? There might be enough dudes that without suffering key injuries, they can they can have a, a special season. I will admit that I have zero confidence in the depth defensively 
to the point where if, if Florida gets snake bitten by injury, things could really fall apart on the, on the defensive end. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, again, that's just a, that statement is filled with qualifiers and filled with like, uh, uh, like a hopeful tone. <laughs> like, I, I still think it's, it, it's just, it's hard to get a grip and a feel to me on, on what, what I'm supposed to expect out of this team. Should be fun. He is Barton Simmons. And coming up next, are you ready to bring in the Dodfather? Let's get it going with the Dodster. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined $20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make $13 million more than the entire Mac. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the show here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, the Dodfather, Dennis Dodd. Um, Dennis, you're checking in. You're you're in Tuscaloosa, correct? I am, yes. Mm. Do you think that you are going to – are you going to be at A-Day? No, I won't. Uh, Uh, That is uh, soon, but not tonight. (laughs) Uh, But, no, I'm actually going to be at Nebraska's spring game next week which I think is the same day as, as a day for the Scott Frost show. Ooh. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's save, uh, Tuscaloosa here for a little bit and let's get started yeah. right there with frost. The, um, the, when Barton and I were, were starting to, uh, open up spring practice uh, a while ago, we were talking about the, the excitement and the buzz and the, you know, everything that's going to come along with the Scott Frost experience. You know, what are you expecting, from the the Nebraska fan base, is there a sense of realistic expectations? You know what what is the tone right now of the Cornhusker fans as we're uh, we're approaching Saturday? I think the the feeling right now there is that they finally got it right. You know what that means in the future. Uh, you know will be something better than Mike Riley or Bill Callahan or, or Bo Pelini, Mister Nine and Four. But to have one of their own come home and 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 want to come home and really lay out a plan, which they really haven't had since Frank Solich left, I, I think is, is the vibe. In, in, in a division where they can win and compete and get to the Big Ten championship game, I, 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 think, I think they've hired the right guy. I think that's the vibe. I think everybody's on the same page finally in Nebraska. I'm curious what you're, what you're down there for in Alabama with. Like what, what's, what are you starting to dig up over oh, there? What oh, oh. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm doing the uh, – I'm doing the uh, quarterback battle and a uh, coaching tree story for Nick, not not a new story, and then going on to Tennessee to, to chronicle the nuclear waste left over from Chernobyl. Sure, sure. Which, is, which has now been cleaned up to a large extent. Has it? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it has. I, I, I didn't say Jeremy Pruitt would win the East. I, I'm just saying, yeah, I think things have settled down there, yeah. What's Barton? What's your read so far on Tennessee? I mean, I, I'm I'm co- I'm coming for, to this conversation obviously uh, to playing as much catch up as as a lot of our listeners are right now. But what's you know what what has it been like around Knoxville? Well, from from my read, and I'll be interested <laughs> to hear what what uh, Dennis digs up up there. But we're, we're sort of in that season where all the new staffs you start hearing the buzz of like that that they you know were left this carcass of a program um and and i think that's sort of the case of tennessee right now is they're they're just trying to find guys that can that can help them yeah. and play and, and i think they're not super happy with the the talent remaining over there i don't know if you, you've heard similarly dennis uh, yeah. but that that'll be fascinating to hear how quickly they think they can get the culture right over there yeah and that's a that's a question i want to get answered because that's all anybody at tennessee cares about now I think to, to Chip's point, yeah, I think things have calmed down. Now we, they have to play football, <laughs> which is yeah. not an insignificant thing. It, it, it's fascinating to me that, I don't know if you guys agree, but if, let's say, they, they could have hired Jeremy Pruitt two days after they fired Butch Jones. Easily. Jeremy Pruitt would have taken the job, you know, depending on when he could get there. I don't think that would have been uh, well-received either. But... When you factor in how they got to Jeremy Pruitt eventually, he's the he's the savior. He's the conquering hero. Save us from this mess, and, and along with Philip Fulmer. That is what I'm trying to dig down on, and I think that's fascinating to me. Well, and, and I think, though, too, it'll be interesting. Like, he is very much the 
the anti Butch Jones. Yeah, he's the yeah. anti cliche. He's the anti. I mean, he Butch Jones was never a coordinator uh, to any high level, anyways. Uh, Jerry Pruitt is a is a football guy through and through. Uh, so he brings a, a, a breath of fresh air, I think, to Tennessee fans uh, who are tired of the Butch Jones era. I think Philip Fulmer wanted to hire a guy in his image and likeness. Um, in that he's he's SEC born and bred. He's got that look about him like he's a young Kirby or young Nick. And I'm not look. I'm not saying going to compare him record wise to them at all. But uh, he's got both those guys in his background. I think that that helped loads in getting him to Tennessee and then you know to to get to a national championship game in, in the second year at Georgia uh, with him as a major part of it. I think helped too, but uh, I, I, it, it's almost like a caricature. It's like, who, who would you draw up as the perfect coach uh, for Tennessee? It, w- it would be somebody like Jeremy Pruitt, perhaps with head coaching experience. Yeah, but that's uh, that's where he could – I mean, that's that's the, the, the big Jeremy Pruitt storyline is going to be uh, – like right now in men's basketball, there there's the – the Mike Krzyzewski secession plan. You know, Jeff Capel yeah. takes a job at Pittsburgh and all the former assistants are out there. You know, Steve Wojo, Steve Wojcicki's at Marquette. Chris Collins is at Northwestern. It's like there, we've seen more turnover on the Duke assistant staff in the last couple years. And part of the underlying narrative of that has been, all right, well, if, if you want to get a look when Kay retires, you better have so, some recent head coaching experience. That's where... If like I don't know when the robot Saban is gonna decide to power down, and I you know who knows when it could be, but if Jeremy Pruitt, you know Alabama high school football coaching product, you know yep. he's if he does well at Tennessee, he will have positioned himself uh, to be able to have one of those "Mama called, I'm coming home" type press conferences. Yeah, and I and I think. Look, Tennessee's willing to take that chance again, considering where they came from last December first. You know, they're they're hoping they're in that position soon. You know, it's on the back. You know, we'll deal deal with that later. You know, if he yeah. if he gets us to the promised land that we haven't, then it would know, have all been worth it. It totally would have been worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you you don't you're not you're not even thinking about that when you're when you hire him because, frankly, at that point, I think a lot of people have forgotten. The, the, I guess the group of coaches, serviceable coaches that would have come there had shrunk considerably, considerably because of the way they had handled things. Could they have gotten a coach? Yeah, they could have gotten a coach. You know, hundreds of coaches would have come, but how many would have taken that job um, without thinking twice about, do I really want to go into this mess? And, and Jeremy Pruitt did. With, uh, Dennis, you've been you've been covering college football for decades, and so I, I want to get big picture on Alabama. Do you are you able to balance understanding, uh, be, being able to to look at the minutia and and the twists and turns and all the different narratives that are packed into a powerhouse program like Alabama in the moment, while also contextualizing the fact that we're watching one of the greatest runs in the sports history. Yeah, I mean, I keep reminding myself of that that. You know, this we're we're in the middle of the greatest dynasty ever. You know, it's it's better than uh, than Oklahoma in the '50s. It's better than Miami because Miami was spread out over multiple coaches. Uh, the closest thing is probably Oklahoma in the '50s. This is you know obviously five and nine years at Alabama, but then a record tying six over I think it's 13 years if you count LSU. Uh, uh, actually, well, 14 or 15 years. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if that'll ever be done again by one guy, uh, and it's it, it's it, it's Babe Ruth seven fourteen. It's Wayne Gretzky ninety two goals, and we're we're living right in the middle of it. It may never happen again. So what's what's the early returns as you down there? Is this something you're going to get into? I guess later today. What what is have you gotten the vibe yet at the quarterback battle? I, I've I've talked with Chip about it to where I think yeah. it's a. It's a foregone conclusion. This is a this is Tua's job. Uh, he won that job in the national title game. But I'm curious if uh, what your expectation is 
in, in, in going and talking to those folks down there and, and, and what you think you'll learn? You guys would probably agree with me. I think, I think that the story or the question or the interest is what is the exit strategy for Jalen? It's not that two is not going to win the job. It's does Jalen is somehow Jalen talked into staying. Is there a position change? Does he transfer at the end of spring? Does he transfer in July? Um, I, I think that's really the story right now. I agree with you, Barton, that it's a yep. foregone conclusion that the two is going to win it despite, I don't know, his dad said he broke his finger, whatever. Um, that he gives them the best chance to win. But, you know, will there be a time when they need Jalen Hurts, when there is an injury and Nick somehow does keep him in the fold? You know, I, no matter what, Jalen, I'm still your best path to, the pro, path to the pros. And that path probably doesn't include him being a quarterback in the NFL. I could see that conversation, you know, being had. But or Or does he go to... Northwestern State and win an FCS title or something like that. I don't know. That that to me is the story right now. And and my hypothesis on that is that given that that Jalen has always come across as a really good teammate, a really yeah. good, uh, really good kid. Like I, my hypothesis is he sits as the backup. Tua waited his turn last year, so it's it's sort of Jalen's turn to be that backup, that that emergency option. And then I, I would assume next spring he'll have a grad transfer opportunity and then yeah. he can you know, go play right away somewhere. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and, and no harm, no foul. Then he, uh, you know, then we know what he can do. We know what his floor is and we know what his ceiling is. And that's not going to change, I don't think, in the year. And look, if he, if he backs up and, and there's an injury and there's every you know, reason there could be, then you're absolutely in good hands, if not great hands. You know, maybe the best quarterback situation – in the country, but I, Barton, I'd be interested to hear from you, you know, how that is told to every recruit that comes in, we're going to recruit over you. Um, maybe not now, maybe next year, but don't ever think you have a spot on this team. Yeah. That's the beauty of Bama. Yeah. Right? Like they, <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, I, I can't remember if I was talking about this with you, Chip, but I mean, like the, I don't know if you guys watched the shop talk episode with uh, with Julio Jones that you know, I watched episode one on your recommendation, yeah. by the way. And I love <laughs> yeah. the, the, the illegal. Uh, the right. Illegal the the uh, yeah. The, the LeBron um, contested shop talk yeah. episode. But uh, it was it was fascinating to hear Julio talk about uh, the competition at Alabama. And it really is like that's I think you talk about the the sort of pillars and, and foundational pieces to the dynasty, I think that's it. The fact that you can't have your job taken every day and you are going to get five stars recruited behind you and the, the, the battles to keep that job throughout your career are, uh, are, are what sort of sharpens those knives and, and sharpens those weapons. And so it, the, the people that are willing to go into that scenario – it sort of self-selects some uh, some really elite mentally, not only physically but but mentally, the guys that really want to get in there and, and, and go to war. And so I think that it's uh, I mean it's it's fascinating to see how it's sort of self-recruited um, and and the guys that don't want to sit that kind of battle out. Well, hey, Alabama may not really want those guys anyway. Wasn't it so uh, hilarious to listen to them share stories of watching people quit? <laughs> like the three of the, like just laughing at all the different times that they were on the field running gassers again coach Saban told him to do it again and uh and just watching watching people walk off the field yeah i think ryan anderson even said he would he he almost was one of those guys to quit and somebody slapped him and told him to go do it again um yeah all right so what's what? uh go ahead barton well, I was, I was going to, you know, I don't know. Um, I feel like with, with, with the Dodd father on here, we, we got to get uh, a little bit of an old Miss update here. You, you've been in the thick of this oh, Shea gosh. Patterson stuff. Um, you know, uh, for those that haven't been following your work closely here the last week, uh, can you give us the Cliff Notes update on, on where things stand and maybe where the next step is for Shea Patterson in Michigan? Well, so, uh, to just to catch up real quick, six players have transferred from Ole Miss, in, in, I, I would say, in the wake of the NCAA penalties from last December. 
the by far the most high profile is their quarterback, Shea Patterson, who is now practicing and enrolled at Michigan. He is seeking a what is called a transfer waiver to be eligible right away, uh, bypassing the usual year in residence requirement that the, that the NCAA has. It has been a drawn out, uh, contentious, I guess, process between Ole Miss, the NCAA, and Michigan to the point now where the NCAA has all the materials in hand. They have comment from Michigan, you know, why why the kids should be eligible right away, comment from Ole Miss, and Ole Miss has objected to him being eligible right away based, based on the fact his appeals package says that he was misled as to the scope of the NCAA violations. And, and I think it, it does include the word lied to by Hugh Freeze while he was there. And if you remember, that came really end of January, beginning of February of 16, when all this was, when all this was going down. Uh, at the same time, Ole Miss was getting its initial uh, notice of allegations. Uh, Ole Miss is fighting it. They're fighting it vehemently. What, the, ne- the next question is what impact it has on the NCAA, who is eventually going to rule he can, he'll either have to sit out the year or, or is eligible right away. So why, why would? There's the question. Oh, oh <laughs> like, and, and I guess part of me, as I think through this, I think, all right, well, there, you know, it's not, it's less related towards Shea Patterson, more related towards the the NCA investigation, and um, you know, be having a consistent message, and and but the the at this point, the NCA penalties and and the investigation and all that, I mean. It's over, right? Like, there's nothing. Oh yeah. Else well, they're, no, they're done. they're appealing. They're they're in the process. Oh, so they're of still in the, So is that then? Is that the, is that the motivation then for Ole Miss? Is because I, I as, think that's part of their appeal. Yeah. Okay. I think that's part of it. I think that's just staying on an even line. Okay, we've said from the beginning, this stuff isn't true. Um, we're appealing to the NCAA to get you know that bull band back, uh, at least and. You know, that's that, not to be not to be forgotten is the fact that they did have to apologize to Houston Nutt, and basically they did. Uh, so, you know, even even if all that is the case, you know, part of the part of the option here for Ole Miss when they sent these materials to uh, to the NCAA was to, was to not comment at all. And if they don't comment at all, and the NCAA does what it does. None of this comes back on Ole Miss. We're not even talking about Ole Miss. We're talking about Shea Patterson, Michigan, and Jim Harbaugh. Instead, the story has become largely about them and why they're fighting this. So, I, I, I mean, in my opinion, I think that like they have from the beginning, I think the decision makers are either getting bad advice or, or making bad decisions themselves. So we can probably expect that they will object to the Van Jeffersons of the world as well, right? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. The other five players, and here's the other thing: it's un- unbelievable. The other five players are are going to file. I, to my understanding, they haven't filed yet formally for a uh, waiver. They're going to file, citing the same things. the The filings are going to be staggered for maximum impact against Ole Miss. In other words, they're going to have to do this five more times uh, before these kids. Uh, a rule to become eligible or not. So this is something that may carry in to all off season and all summer. It sounds like it's out of the, uh, the same playbook that we saw with Sutton at Kansas state and a few other players where it almost becomes a PR battle, at least stagger- yeah, it's, staggering. It's diff- the- I'll tell you why it's different. Uh, they're not blocking him despite what I, I misspoke on Twitter. I said, it sounded like they're black. They're not blocking him. Um, and they, they didn't block him. Uh, he he transferred, uh, was allowed to transfer, enrolled. Uh, same for those other five players. This is a transfer waiver situation where they're tr- just trying to get become eligible right away. The Corey Sutton thing at Kansas State was Bill Snyder blocked him from 35 schools, and it was simply out of spite because a kid I think had lashed out at him on Twitter. And so that that discussion is for is for that transfer reform. Uh, issue that's going to be decided probably here in the next month, but but it doesn't really have to do with Shea Patterson. 
Do you have a feel on how that's going to go with the, what is it, the fourth or fifth working group that has tried yeah. to address the transfer rules? Do you have any, any sense of what to expect there? On the transfer reform thing? Yeah, I do. After talking to a pretty powerful person yesterday, just casually, I don't think the NCAA can handle both uh, the Rice Commission implementation, you know, recommendations and this in the same year. It's just it's just a heavy lift. So what this person told me and what others have suggested is I, I think they'll push transfer reform back. Nothing will change. They may, there's a separate piece, which seems really easy to do right now, um, that would allow players notification instead of permission in, uh, in transferring. I think that can be done because it's, it's a separate piece of legislation, and it's fair and it makes common sense. You know, There are no more Corey Suttons. So I think that gets done, but I, it, it's really a heavy lift trying to get both of those two things I mentioned done in the same year. So I, I would be surprised if because the Rice Commission is, is is a priority and will be fast tracked. We know that from Mark Emmert. So I wouldn't look for much right now to be done on uh, transfer reform. All right. So for Shea Patterson, let's go to the Michigan side of this. You said this the story would be all about Shea Patterson in Michigan. Do you? As you're starting to, you know, take a look at the Wolverines and move ahead, do you think the Wolverines need Shea Patterson? Absolutely, and I'm interested to hear what Barton says on this too. I look, Jim Harbaugh in year four hasn't had a difference-making quarterback, and now it's to the point where even the most ardent supporters in Michigan are seeing that. You know, that's the difference in a division which maybe uh, it probably is the strongest. In, uh, in college football this year, the Big Ten East with Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, all very good teams this year. He needs a different difference-making quarterback. I'm, I'm reminded that shit, somebody, I was on radio and somebody said, why didn't he stay at Ole Miss? I think this needs to be said, too. He may not have won the job at Ole Miss, but I, he sure as heck would win the job at, uh, at, uh, at Michigan. Uh, 3,400 yards, 23 touchdowns in two years, that with being injured as well uh he'd make a huge difference in michigan what do you think barton uh, yeah i mean i think he's the preferred quarterback up there i think the the narrative that has been puzzling to me is this sort of idea that boy if michigan doesn't get shea patterson eligible uh there goes their their big 10 title hopes or whatever yeah. like i i think I, I mean, Chip, you know this well from our from our podcast. Like, I've long thought that Brandon Peters is is way overlooked uh, on that roster, and I think for him to be basically a, a returning starter. I mean, he he started a couple games. He, he was he was successful. He was three and zero in the games they played. Uh, you know, I, I think they can win with Brandon Peters, and in some ways, it's sort of it it, it has almost been a little bit interesting to me that Shea is this written in starter if he's eligible because he has to come in and learn the system which is a very different scheme and system than he and then he ran at Ole Miss uh I mean if you watch this Michigan um Amazon Prime uh sort of hard knocks type of season uh, which I've been watching the last couple days which is great by the way I mean they're they are the language they use in calling plays is is, it's is pro style. the NFL. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally yeah, I mean, NFL. It is, it is a a mouthful, you know. And Shea Patterson's got to learn that language in in short order. And 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 you know, Brandon Peters has been in, been there for a couple years now, and this is year three. And and so uh, all that's to say, I think Shea's the better quarterback and and gives them a better chance of winning. But there's some other factors at play, and I, and Shea is the better Shea's the better fit. Um, from a personality standpoint with Harbaugh. Like, that's been always the knock on Peters is that he's too mm. laid back, he's too quiet, he doesn't... And Shea is 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 more of that prototypical quarterback competitor. Uh, and so I think they'll want, they want to play him, obviously. But, uh, but I wouldn't just count out Brandon Peters as being a, a good option for them. Don't forget Wilton Spade! Come on, Wilton Spade! <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he gone? Didn't he transfer? Well, what's the yeah? What's the so? He was he was sort of exploring grad transfer options, but yeah. then I'd heard if what if if the, the story was if Shea Patterson didn't qualify or did wasn't eligible, then he would may come back to Michigan. Yeah, I, I think that's what I read. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm being facetious, but <laughs> he loves he loves Harbaugh, but 
you know, I guess just to be a Michigan man. I mean, this, uh, I, I think the reasons that you should like Michigan in 2018 should be, are, are most likely at reasons other than the quarterback position. And if you think they're good enough to, like, if you thought they were good enough to compete for a Big Ten title with Wilton Spade or Brandon Peters, then you shouldn't be hinging your Michigan decisions based on whether or not Shea Patterson's immediately eligible. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd agree. We, 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 yeah, we, we did our, like, our heat check of Michigan was always pointing to another year, and that was before Shea Patterson was even in the picture. It's, yeah. I, I, I think Michigan is probably one of the three most fascinating teams to watch this fall. Would y'all agree? Because of all I, the Harbaugh yeah, reasons I, and everything I else? I think the number one offseason story is the Alabama quarterback battle, and number two is just the entire Shea Patterson thing at Michigan, everything we just discussed, uh, yeah. because it, there's so many people and, and, and uh, schools involved. So, yeah, I would agree. All right, Dennis, uh, before we get you out of here, what is there's, there's a lot of – spring games going on a lot of action what is is there one storyline that you think is uh either either on field or off field or on college football that has been flying below the radar and an otherwise uh slow spring as far as spring games it's now come to the point where it's news which which ones are going to be played instead <laughs> instead of which ones uh are being canceled I, it's almost like uh Student athlete welfare has uh, finally gotten hold of some of these coaches. Uh, it may snow on Saturday. We can't have a spring game. So there's uh, like three or four that I know of that have been canceled for for, sun, for Saturday. So no, I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, no, it, it has been it has been pretty slow. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how Nick manipulates the appearance of his quarterbacks at the spring game. I, I'm looking forward to Nebraska and just seeing that scene. Uh, the tickets sold out at Nebraska for the spring game within hours. What? And, and, not, and not, oh yeah, and not the first time that they've sold out the spring game, but for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, in the hype against Scott Frost, it's going to be like a regular season game. At least the, the, the scene is going to be like that. So, um, and I think, you know, I think Auburn, uh, how they rebound, I, I'm of the opinion not much is learned from the games themselves it's more you know the before and after but it'll be fun he is dennis dodd you can follow him on twitter at dennis dodd cbs dennis always good to catch up thank you so much enjoy tuscaloosa and lincoln on your spring tour all right guys thank you our thanks to dennis dodd of course always barton simmons uh and make sure you follow all of us at dennis dodd cbs on twitter at barton simmons on twitter at chip underscore patterson make sure that you subscribe review and rate the 24 7 sports college football podcast if you're a subscriber then you don't even have to check back those episodes are delivered right to you uh we're going to be linking back with more spring football talk we've got something very special planned around nfl draft season uh so make sure that you subscribe and thank you to all of the loyal listeners who have already done so for dennis dine and martin simmons i'm chip patterson thank you for listening to 24 7 sports college football podcast